Grab your Bible, 2 Peter chapter number 3, 2 Peter chapter number 3. If you need a lesson, if you need a lesson, raise your hand, raise your hand, we, right there, right there. Anybody else, raise your hand real high, we'll make sure and get a lesson to you. Uh, we want to make sure everyone gets a lesson. All right, all right, 2 Peter chapter number 3, we'll begin in verse number 1. Uh, Peter is wrapping up his letter. Uh, and, and, and if you've been here for the other past lessons of first Peter and second Peter, we know that he is, he is trying to encourage the saints. He's warning the saints about trouble that's coming, trials that's coming, difficulties. Uh, uh, and first we see persecution from outside the church and, and, uh, first Peter and second Peter, he's warning them of trials and difficulties, some hardships that's going to come from false teachers on the inside of the church. And now in this chapter, chapter number three, he's wrapping up his letter. He's wrapping up what he's finally telling them about. He talked about their conduct. He talked about the false teacher's characters in chapter number two. And now he's going to deal with their false teaching. What are they teaching? What are they telling people? Uh, what are they trying to get across and trying to get people to believe? That's what he deals with here in chapter number three. So if that makes sense, say amen. It says, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken of before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by, one, uh, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Can we just stop right there and say amen? amen? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the, the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Also, in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved... Seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in, read it with me, 
but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for your word. Thank you for an opportunity to come and, and share your word with those who, who want to learn and want to grow. And uh, Lord, we, we have a desire to meet with you tonight. We have, a, we have a desperate need to meet with you tonight. I pray that you will send your Holy Spirit amongst us tonight. And, and I know this is Bible study, but God, I, you said where two or three are gathered in your name, you will be there. And Lord, we want you to be here. I pray, God, that you'll move in our midst. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts, strengthen our resolve. I pray, God, that you will give us what we stand in need of. God will praise you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. First thing we see in verses number one and verses number two, uh, Peter's basically given the, the reasoning behind the first letter and the second letter. He said this, this second epistle, Beloved, I now write unto you in both in both the first letter and the second letter, which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. He says, I want you to be mindful of the words which were spoken of by the prophets. It is possible in the intro I put in your notes, if you'll look at your notes there, uh, it is possible to have a pure and sincere mind and yet have a bad memory. Do I have a witness right there? Sometimes we have well-meaning intentions. Sometimes uh, we want to do right. Sometimes we, 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 we have uh, 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 great plans for our life, but sometimes we can get forgetful. Sometimes we can get, and not just forgetful of what we're supposed to do, but we can get forgetful of what God promised he would do. And when we forget what he said he would do, sometimes we begin to doubt what's going on in our life. For instance, when we forget that God said all things... All things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to his purpose. When, when we forget that he said that, sometimes we'll start wondering about stuff that's going on in our life. We'll start wondering about his care for us. We'll start wondering. It's just like the disciples in the boat. When he was asleep in the bottom of the boat, they said, carest thou not that we perish? You know what? They forgot his word. And Peter's saying here, we need to constantly remind ourselves. We need to constantly encourage one another and, and, and remind ourselves of what he said. Peter wrote his second letter primarily to awaken and arouse his readers. It's easy for Christians to get accustomed to God's truth, and the church needs to be aroused regularly lest the enemy find us asleep and take advantage of our spiritual lethargy. You know, I, I think too, I think too, sometimes we can get used to we can get used to God's blessings. I, I really do. I really think that a lot of times we can go to a church that's got the touch of God on it and got the favor of God on it and get accustomed to it and take listen uh, uh, really not appreciate what God's doing in a place. I tell you what, if you ever want to appreciate where God is, go where God ain't. Amen. Amen? Don't, 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 don't get to the place where we get used to his blessings. I don't want to, I don't, it, it, it's kind of, uh, because when we do, we, we start taking for granted what God has done. It's easy to do that with a spouse, isn't it? A spouse is really good. A spouse is such a blessing. And sometimes when we, when we forget and we get, we, we, we don't 
take for, uh, 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 in mind what they always do for us and with us. Sometimes we could take them for granted, and we don't need to do that. Peter says, I want to remind you. You're good people, but I want to remind you. It's very easy to get forgetful. And then he begins in verse number 3. He begins in verse number 3 and takes up where he has been dealing with in chapters number 1 and chapters number 2, and he calls them scoffers. These false teachers are scoffers. Verse number 3. It says, knowing this first, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now, here's the deal. Peter and the apostles and the disciples and the early church leaders, they were preaching that Jesus was coming back. Jesus was coming soon. Why? Because uh, when Jesus left, he said, I'm coming back. When Jesus was here on this earth in John 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Amen. And, And so, because of what Jesus taught them, because of what the Old Testament prophets taught, they taught that Jesus was coming soon. Not only was Jesus coming back, but judgment was coming. Judgment was coming. Now, the scoffers were saying, there's no, Jesus isn't coming back. There's no judgment coming. There's no judgment coming. And, and matter of fact, they went and said, look, it, things, have, things are the same as they was for the, from the beginning of time. Nothing's ever changed. Where's the promise of his coming? You say he's coming, where's he at? Where's he at? Doesn't that sound familiar? People are saying that today. Oh, we've heard this for years. We've heard this for years. We've heard this for years. But where is he at? That's what they were saying. In verse, in verse number three, we find A, if you're taking notes, we find A, we find their argument. It's basically three things that, that they were arguing or they were trying to bring across a, a to the people. Uh, first, first, uh, they're saying nothing's changed. Look in verse number three. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the scoffers, or excuse me, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. All right? So they say nothing's changed. There's been no cataclysmic event. There's been nothing happened in the, in the, in the past. So why should we expect it to happen in the future? All right, the second argument they have is God does not interrupt the operation of his stable creation. The promise of Christ's coming is not true. And then the third one, why the delay? Look what he says in verse number, uh, verse number nine. Verse number nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. He's dealing with the, the question, if he's coming, why is he taking so long? If he's coming, why is there such a delay? This is their argument. Now, before we begin to see Paul, or excuse me, Peter refuting their argument, there's something else that we need, we need to see about these scoffers. And, and as you look in your notes, a scoffer is somebody who treats lightly that which should be taken seriously. You know, I can't help but think of comedians that I've seen on TV or in different places that, that make mockery over hell. 
Make mockery and make fun of the devil. Make fun of a place called hell. Make fun of judgment. Make fun of uh, uh, when, when we, we talk about the tribulation period, we talk about the Antichrist and in movies and comedies and different things. Make, what are they doing? They're scoffing. They're making light of something they should be taking very seriously. You, t- you witness to somebody and you teach them about hell and you talk to them about hell and say, look, if you're saved, you're going to heaven. If you're lost, you're going to hell. And they'll make jokes about it. I- I- I've, seen, I've seen stickers that said, uh, hell doesn't, uh, or, or heaven doesn't want me and hell's afraid I'm going to take over. That's scoffing. And that's a mockery. And I promise you this, there's going to be a rude awakening one day for people when, when reality sets in. Are y'all with me? Say Amen. Listen, scoffers are those who treat lightly what they should be taking seriously. The people in Noah's day, they scoffed at the idea of rain falling in a flood. They scoffed at the idea of what Moses, or excuse me, Noah was trying to preach and get across. The people in Sodom, they mocked at the idea of being destroyed by fire. They mocked at the idea of, of fire and brimstone coming down, and they wouldn't listen to Lot. They wouldn't listen to his message. We see their argument. Nothing's changed. Not, Jesus is not coming back. Judgment is not coming. You're just trying to scare everybody. You're just trying to uh, use fear tactics to get people to do what you want them to do. That's what people say religion is. Uh, uh, some have said, uh, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the governor's name? Uh, Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura said religion is a crutch for weak-minded people. That's what he said. Uh, religion is a crutch for weak-minded people. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in hell. He doesn't believe in heaven. Uh, and and, and I, 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 I'm, afraid, I'm afraid he's going to have a, a rude awakening one day. Now, this is their argument. But why? Why are they so adamant to say there is no judgment? Why are they so adamant to say that Jesus is not coming back? Why are they so adamant to say that there is no God? We don't believe there's a God. They refuse to acknowledge God. This is in Romans. You can see this back in Romans chapter number 1. Uh, we don't even believe there's a God. We don't, even, we don't even want to think that there's a God. Why would they do that? The answer is given. The answer is given in verse number 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. Watch this. Read this with me. Walking after their own Read it again. All right, B, their agenda. Write that down. We see their argument. There is no return. Jesus is not coming back. Uh, the promise of his coming. There's no judgment. You're just trying to scare people. If he's coming, why, why is he taking so long? Why do they scoff? Because they want to continue living in their sins. Peter made it clear that false teachers cultivate the lust of uncleanness and allure weak people by the means of the lust of the flesh. Now watch this. Watch what I underline. Watch what I underline. If your lifestyle contradicts the word of God, you must either change your lifestyle or change the word of God. Now you know what that means? That means I want to live this way. I want to live this lifestyle. Now, the only way I can live this lifestyle with my conscience is to say there is no God. Because if there is a God, then I'm going to hell. If there is a God, then I am in deep trouble. 
If there is a God, then I can't be doing what I'm doing. If there is a God, then I am wrong in my behavior. So instead of changing my behavior, instead of changing my lifestyle, instead of changing the way that I'm living, then I'm going to choose to say there is no God. I'm going to choose to say there is no judgment coming. I'm going to choose to say that there is no hell. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I promise you this. You can say it all you want, but it's, it's not going to negate the truth. And people are doing it every day. Why do you think they're so adamant? Why do you think they're so adamant about getting the Ten Commandments just out of the minds of people, getting the Ten Commandments out of everything, getting the Ten Commandments out of the the courthouses, out of Washington? We want the Ten Commandments. Why? Because if the Ten Commandments are there, then God's there. And if the Ten Commandments are real, then God is real. And if God is real, then I'm in trouble. Does that make sense? So the best thing we can do is mock it. So the best thing we can do is just make fun of it. So the best thing we can do is just say, there is no God. That way I can live the way I want to live. There is no God, so I can behave the way I want to behave. I can act any way I want to act and behave any way I want to behave because there is no consequences. Give somebody a rule without a consequence and you're wasting your time. I, I get irritated way too easy because I, I see stuff. Uh, I, I want to use this rule, this, this, the deal that's just come up. Uh, the, the, the young man, the young man whose life uh, ended in the, in the, in the wreck, in the, uh, the racing deal. Uh, he got out of his race car. He was hit by another race car. Y'all know the story. Y'all know what happened. It's a tragic, just a terrible, terrible, horrible thing. Uh, they tell the drivers in the driver's meeting every single week, every single week, do not get out of your cars unless it's on fire, or unless it's a medical necessity. Stay in your vehicle till the emergency personnel gets there, Right? After all this took place, NASCAR come out with a new rule saying you have to stay in your car. Now, and I'm sitting back reading and I say, or what? And the problem was, there's no or what. You have to stay in your car if you get out of your car. Now, this would, this would be different. If you get out of your car, you miss two races. Now, that would work because now there's consequences to the action. Are y'all with me? So you say, what does that got to do? Here's what people want to live in our society. They want to live in such a way that there's no consequences to their actions. And, and we see it lived over and over and over and over again where people want to behave any way they want to behave. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to blame everybody and everything but themselves. And these scoffers, they want to live a certain way. And, 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 and we've done found out in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we find that they want to live incredibly immoral. So they have to say that God is not coming. They have to do that to be able to live the lifestyle they want to live. Does that make sense? Say amen. Okay. Number three, we see the scoffers, then we see the sovereign. 
Okay, here's what here's where here, here's where Peter's at. Okay, he he is he is addressing the church. He's addressing uh, the arguments that have been made. Here are the arguments. You remember, uh, 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 everything stayed the same. Everything from the beginning of time, everything is the same. God's not interfered. God's not intervening in, in, in anything. Uh, there's no promise of his coming. And if he is coming, where's he at? Why the delay? Why is he taking so long? Okay? Now, if you understand those arguments, say amen. Now watch what Peter says about him. Look in verse number four. Verse number four. They said everything is the same. They continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now watch what Peter says in verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of. Ignorance is not dangerous. Ignorance of ignorance is dangerous. When you don't know what you don't know, you're in trouble. Are y'all with me? And, 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 and choosing not to know. Uh, how many of y'all have ever gotten pulled over or, or, or you ever heard this phrase uh, when you get, well, I didn't know that was the speed limit. What do they always tell you? Anybody know? Ignorance is no excuse for the, now watch. The Bible says in verse five, for this they willingly are ignorant of. In other words, they choose to keep this out of mind. They choose to be ignorant of this. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Look what it says. Hey, write this down. Now he's going to bring God into the situation. Now he's going to bring the sovereign. First, we see his involvement in the past. Because they said God doesn't interfere with creation. In their minds, God put everything together, threw it out there, and said, good luck, and left it alone. But this is, this is his argument. Peter reminded them of what God had done in the past, and thus prove his work is consistent throughout the ages. Peter cited two events in the history to prove his point. One is the creation, and the second is the flood. God created the heavens and the earth by his word. The phrase, and God said, occurs nine times in Genesis 1. He spake it, and it was done. Say amen. He commanded it, to, and it stood fast. Psalms 33, 9. Not only was creation made by the word of God, it is held together by the same word. Peter's argument is obvious. The same God who created the world by his word can also intervene in his world and do whatever he wishes to do. It is his word that made it, and, and it is his word that holds it together. His word is all-powerful. Now, the second event is the flood. He referred to the flood, and he didn't go into great detail. He didn't go into great detail because he's already talked about that earlier in the letter. And so there was no need to really go into detail. God has the power to break in at any time and accomplish his will. He can send rain from heaven or fire from heaven, but our God is in, heaven, in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Somebody say amen right there. In other words, God can do anything he chooses. Uh, the basic premise is that God, God doesn't interfere with the things of earth. And he uses the flood as an illustration. God interfered. God intervened. He came to this earth. 
He saw the wickedness of this earth. He saw the idolatry, the immorality, everything that was going on, and he intervened in the actions upon the earth. But he says they choose to be ignorant of that. Listen, people, people can be presented with truth, and they have a choice either to accept it or reject it. Now, I want to I help some folks in here. I, I, I've, had, I've had some people come up to me and say, Preacher, I've witnessed to my friend or I've witnessed to my coworkers, and, and they won't believe it. How do I get them to believe? You can't. And, and let me say this, and before you get upset, it's not your job to get them to believe. It's your job to present truth. What they do with that truth is up to them. Now, I want to choke everybody down and make them. Are y'all with me? When, when, when I'm standing up here on this platform and I say, now listen, if you're not 100% sure you're saved, if, if, if you have doubts in your heart, if God is dealing with you right now, and, and I, want you, I want to pray for you, I want, I want you to slip your hand up so I can pray for you, and when the hands go up all over this building, and then I invite them to come forward to receive Christ, and they don't move, I want to go drag them all by the hair of the head all the way down here. But you know what? You can't do that. You can't do that. All you can do is say, this is the truth. This is the truth. And what, what Peter is saying here, they're willfully choosing not to believe the truth that's already taken place. All the evidence is there, but they're willfully denying it. And see, it goes back, it goes back to the way they want to live their life. Do you know, have you ever heard that phrase, there's no atheists in foxholes? You ever heard that? In other words, when their life is on the line and bullets are flying over their head, ain't no such thing as atheists. They'll pray to God even if they don't know him. You know why? Because there's something put inside of every human being that they know there's a God. And even the most devout atheist there is, he knows. But they're choosing so they can continue to live the lifestyle they want to live. Sad as that is, he, he goes on. He goes on. In verse number 5, in verse number 5, we see his, his intervention in the past. We see God moving in the past. Uh, uh, God has, has intervened. Countless times, countless times. I, I wished I had time to go over some of the things that, that I've learned down through the years, how, how God's intervened in the, in the development of nations, how God's intervened in, 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 in especially the development of Israel. Uh, but we see in the past. But then I want you to see this, B, his intention in the present. His intention in the present. This is real encouraging. In verse number, in verse number 8, he says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, I didn't, I didn't put this in your notes. I didn't put this in your notes, but, but I, want you to, I want you to get this. God is eternal. Man is immortal. God is eternal, and man is immortal. You say, what do you mean? Man's not immortal. Man's going to die. The only thing that's going to die is his body. 
but he's going to live forever. Man is immortal. You say, what's the difference between eternal and immortal? Eternal means there was never a beginning and there'll never be an ending. Immortal means there was a beginning, but there'll never be an ending. Does that make sense? You understand? What does that mean? God always has and he always will be. That's why when God or when Moses asked God, what is your name at the burning bush? He said, I am that I am. Not I was that I was or I'm going to be what I'm going to be. I am. He is always eternally here. Say amen. Now I want to talk right there, but we got to finish. He's eternal. He's never had a beginning. He, he's always, and see, we can't fathom that because we operate in the sense of time and God was before time ever was. And God will be when time ceases to be. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And what Peter's trying to get us to understand, he said, don't think of this, uh, don't think of this in your finite mind. You've got to understand that God's eternal. He's not confined to time. He can be in our past at the same time that he's in our future while he's in our present. Good, gracious, and mighty. Say amen. You say, say, what's the big deal about that? You got to understand, God's already in my tomorrow waiting on me to get there. And he's already been in my future, and he is scouting the trail, making sure everything's going to be all right. That's why I don't have to worry about next week, and I don't have to worry about next month, because I might not know what my future holds, but I know who's out there holding it. Amen. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Don't, brethren, he says, listen, I know it's been a while. I know time is clicking off, but one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Now, God is eternal. Keep that in mind. When time is clicking, you say, oh, all this time has gone by. Don't think like you think. Put in God's mind. Listen, he is eternal. He's eternal. Now, now he goes into giving a definition I want you to understand. What is he doing in the present? Why is he waiting? As bad as it's getting, why is he waiting? You know, I mean, you look what's happening over there in Iraq. You look what's happening in, in, with ISIS and all the stuff that's going on. Why is he waiting? I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to be in that place. I'm ready, I'm ready to see him. I'm ready for the pain to end. I'm ready for the sorrow to end. I'm ready for the suffering to end. Why is he waiting? They had the question, but they're asking in a negative connotation. They're saying, if it's true, why is he waiting? Watch this. Under B, under B, his intention in the present. The scoffers did not understand that God's, or excuse me, the scoffers did not understand God's eternality, nor did they understand his mercy. Why was God delaying the return of Christ and the coming of the day of the Lord? It was not because he was unable to act or unwilling to act. He was not tardy or off schedule. How many of y'all are glad God's always on time? God delays the coming of Christ in the great day of fiery judgment because he is long-suffering and wants to give lost sinners the opportunity to be saved. Underline that. Underline that in your notes. 
God delays the coming of Christ and the great day of fiery judgment because he is long-suffering and he wants to give lost sinners the opportunity to be saved. Second <clears throat> Peter 3.15 says, an account that, and this is in verse number, uh, uh, verse number 15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is, or just put equal there, equal to salvation. It just means people are going to have a chance to get saved. God's delay is actually an indication that he has a plan for this world and that he is working his plan. There should be no question in anybody's mind whether God wants sinners to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9 says he's not willing that any should perish. 1 Timothy 2, 4 affirms that God will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. These verses give both the negative and the positive, and together they assure us that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He shows his mercy to all, even though not all will be saved. Now, and and this, is, this is really important here, too. It's worth noting that God revealed the same long-suffering in the years before the flood. I mean, he put up with the wickedness, and he put up with the violence. He put up with the idolatry and the wickedness and the immorality. He put up with it before he brought judgment. He saw the wickedness of man and could have judged the world immediately. Yet he held back his wrath and instead sent Noah as a preacher of righteousness. In the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, God patiently waited uh, while Abraham interceded for the cities and he would have spared them. He would have spared them if, if, if Abraham could have found ten righteous people in Sodom. He explained that God does not live in the realm of human time and that his so-called delay only gives more opportunity for lost sinners to repent and be saved. You know, some people, some people will look some people will look at what took place in Canaan when when the the children of Israel went into Canaan and if you study it you'll see it was kind of barbaric I mean, you'll see that the, the, the children of Israel would come into a city or come into a nation and destroy it. I'm talking about completely destroy it from top to bottom, period. And you say, how terrible that must be. How? But, you, but what you don't understand is God left the children of Israel in bondage for 400 years, giving those nations ample opportunity to repent now if you go if you go and you research those nations in the wickedness of those nations in the immorality of those nations it, it, it you can't even you can't even fathom how wicked these nations were and God in his mercy gave them 400 years to change their ways to change their wickedness and because of that, listen, judgment came. Now, so why are you saying all that? Judgment's coming. It's coming. Now, God is long-suffering. God is being patient. God is delaying. But it's for the sole purpose of seeing people saved and come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Are y'all with me? Say amen. I want you to see his intention in the present in verse number 10. I want you to see his indignation in the punishment. As merciful as he is in the present, judgment is still coming. Verse number 10 says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. 
Peter reaffirmed the certainty of the coming of the day of the Lord. When will it come? Nobody knows when, but it will come to the world as a thief in the night. Our Lord used this phrase in Matthew and in Luke, and so did the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians. When the world is feeling secure, then God's judgment will fall. The thief does not warn his victims when it is coming, uh, for when they shall say peace and safety, in 1 Thessalonians it says this, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. We do not know when it will happen, but we are told what will happen. The word melt in 2 Peter 3.10 means to disintegrate or to be dissolved. It carries the idea of something being broken down to its basic elements. Heaven and earth shall pass away, said our Lord. The great explosion uh, will not touch the heavens of heavens, which is the third heaven. As Paul said, I went to the third heaven. That's where God dwells. It's basically talking about the earth itself and the atmosphere around it. It will destroy the earth and the atmospheric heavens around it. The universe as we know it, this will make room for the new heaven and the new earth. Man's great works will also be burned up. All the things that man boasts about, his great cities, his great buildings, his inventions, his achievements will be destroyed in a moment of time. When sinners stand before the throne of God, they will have nothing to point to as evidence of their greatness. It will all be gone. Think of this. Think of this. One day, everything that we think is so important in possessions and lands, and, and things that, that, that uh, uh, we kill ourselves to get will be gone. Jesus said this. He said, lay not your treasures up on earth, but lay your treasures up in heaven. Lay your treasures up in heaven. Where moth can't get to it, rust can't get to it, It'll be safe forever and ever. You know why he said that? Because he knows everything down here will soon be gone. Soon be gone. All of our great achievements, all of our great works, everything that we're so proud of will one day be gone. You say, what can I take to heaven? Someone else. Someone else. We'll take no money. We'll take no fame. We'll take no fortune. The only thing we can take to heaven is someone else. Now, what are we doing? What are we doing knowing this is coming? You see, the next part of this chapter, from here on out, from here on out in this chapter, he says, he says this phrase, seeing this. You see the word looking several times, but you see the word seeing uh, I think it's in verse 14, uh, verse uh, 17, I think. Uh, verse 11, verse 14, and verse 17. Seeing this, seeing this, looking, looking. He said, open your eyes, look, look, look. And because of this, now he goes from dealing with the scoffers and number three or number four, whatever number it is, number four, number four, he's dealing with the saints. He's left them behind. He's proved their argument wrong. He's proved that God does intervene in the things of man. That, that Listen, it doesn't matter if it's been 1,000 years or 2,000 years. God's promises are true. He will not lie. It will come to pass. If he said it, you can bank on it. Say amen. amen. Now he turns to the saints. Said, said, look, 
They're, 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 what they're teaching is bogus, it's lies. Now I want to talk to you. Now I want to talk to you. Because we know judgment is coming, because we know the elements will melt with fervent heat, because we know that Jesus' return is intimate. Listen, what, what should we be? Look what it says in verse number, verse number 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting into the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Look at first. I want you to see A, the saints' anticipation. Write that word down. Anticipation. The key word in this paragraph is to look. It means to await eagerly, to be expectant. You find it in Luke 3.15, and it says, As the people were in expectation, in Acts 3.5, expecting to receive something of them. This is when the beggar was there, and, uh, and Peter and John was coming by them, uh, and, and, and they stopped, and he looked, and he, he, he would stick out his hand expecting something. He was in expectation of what was going on. This is the same word. The Bible says uh, it describes an attitude of excitement and expectation as we wait on the Lord's return because we realize that the world and its works will be dissolved and that even the very elements will be disintegrated. We fix our hope not on anything in this world, not on, but only on the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that's good. That's good. You ought to underline that. We fix our hope not on anything in this world, but only on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we do not know the day or the hour of our Lord's return, we must constantly be ready. The believer who starts to neglect the blessed hope will gradually develop a cold heart, a worldly attitude, and an unfaithful life. You may tell you what to do when you get down, look up. When you start getting discouraged, when you start getting disappointed with the things of this world and the things of this life, when you start getting afraid of what's going on with the economy and with the world and with, with, with the, the Muslims and with everything else that's going on, look up. Looking up is our blessed hope. He said, comfort, what did he say in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16? Where the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with them in the clouds. This is what he said, comfort ye one another with these words. It is comforting to know that this is not all we've got to look forward to. It's comforting to know that this is not all that is waiting for the child of God. It is comforting to know that Jesus is not going to leave us behind, that he will come back. He will return. He will receive us. And we're going to a better place. Somebody say amen. amen. He said, look up. We should be anticipating the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be looking every single day. Our eyes should be on the sky. We should say, oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But you know, we can't do that. We can't do that. Why? Because of the next one. We see the saints' anticipation. Then we see the saints' conversation. Now, that's the King James Version, conversation, which means your behavior. Not necessarily your speech, but your behavior. Watch what he says. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, here's, here's uh, I, I don't know if you had parents like mine, <clears throat> I was born pre-Ridlin and, and pre-timeout and, and pre-before uh, uh, Dr. Spock told everybody not to spank your kids, you remember? Uh, and and, and pre-counting, uh, counting, counting uh, one, 
two, three, you know, and, and my dad didn't even count licks either because he gave us so many he lost count. Amen. I mean, that, that I was before all of that stuff. And so, so when me and my brother was acting the fool and my mom would say, your daddy is fixing to be home. Because of the anticipation, it changed our conversation. <laughs> Are y'all with me? And sometimes we needed to be reminded that daddy was coming home. But when we received the message that daddy was coming home, I promise you this. We prayed for amnesia in our mama. Say amen. <laughs> oh, God, let her forget of our iniquity and our transgressions. Amen, Lord. <laughs> Knowing dad was coming home, that changed everything. Because when dad came home, ooh. Preacher, what are you saying? Are you just trying to be funny? No, I'm not. You realize Dad's coming home. Amen. You realize judgment is coming. You realize one day we will stand before him and give account for our life. And according to the word of God, every idle word. Peter says, guys, don't you understand? Knowing that the elements will melt with fervent heat, knowing that judgment is coming. Man, how, how, how should our behavior be? Let me, let me read it the way he's, he, he wrote it. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot, and blameless. How many of y'all would get in trouble for a bad report card? Raise your hand. How many of y'all anticipated their coming when you had a good one? How many of y'all was looking for a bomb shelter when you had a bad one? Let me ask you a question. Keeping that in mind, with our behavior and all this stuff right now, presently, right now. Let's just do a, 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 a pop quiz. Keep in mind how you feel when daddy come home with a good report card and when you knew daddy was coming home and you had a bad one. Especially if you had, if you had a mark in the behavioral section of the report card. If you got a bad grade in academics, that's horrible. And you, you, you're going you gonna, to... But if you get it in misbehavior, y'all know what I'm talking about? Amen. Knowing that, let's say Jesus comes tonight. How do you feel about your present self? I'm not really seeing a lot of excitement. You know, that, that, might, that might just mean we need to work on our report card. 
Because you know, A.D., he could come tonight. It could be tonight. And what will it be when we see him? Will we be ashamed? Well, we'll look what it says. Look what it says. And, I, and I'm not trying to spook nobody. I'm just reading my Bible. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Without spot and blameless. He's coming. Now, we can, we can preach that he's coming to shut up the scoffers, but now he's saying, look, knowing that he's coming, that should affect our behavior. Knowing that he's coming, it should affect how we live. Knowing that he's coming, it should affect how we behave. You know what I found out? That our belief directly, it's, it's directly associated with our behavior. It really is. Now watch, now watch. Uh, this expectant attitude ought to make a difference in our personal conduct. The word translated manner literally means exotic or out of this world, foreign. Because we have escaped the corruption that is in the world, that's in verse 4 of chapter 1, we must live differently from the people in the world. To them, we should, have, or we should behave like foreigners. Why? Because this world is not our home. We are strangers and pilgrims headed for a better world, the eternal city of God. Now watch what I underlined. This is really good. Christians should be different, but not odd. Why? When you are different, you attract people. When you are... <laughs> when you are odd, say it. Guys, <laughs> I don't have to describe what I just said. Y'all know what I'm saying. We don't, we don't have to, we don't, we don't have to look weird to be holy. We don't have to, man, there's so much I want to say right here. I'm, but I'm not because I don't want to. And I'm not trying to pick on any group or any whatever. God says, be different. You can, you can stand out without being weird, without being odd. You can, you can stand out in your personality. You can stand out in your integrity. You can stand out in your honesty. You can stand out in your modesty. Are you all with me? And, and attract people to who we are and what we stand for. Our conduct should be characterized by holiness and godliness. Jesus says, he that hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. The word holy means to separate, to cut off. Israel was a holy nation because God called the Jews out from among the Gentiles and kept them separated. 
Christians are called out from the godless world around them and are set apart for God alone. Other New Testament writers also teach that an eager expectancy of the Lord's return ought to motivate us to pure lives. Uh, However, it is not simply knowing the... This is good. This is really good right here. It is not simply knowing the doctrine in the mind that motivates the life. It is having it in the heart, loving his appearing. What does that mean? Are you looking forward to him? I mean, are, are, are you, are you, are you, you say, how can I, how can I look forward to him? Clean up that report card. When I, when I was in trouble, I wasn't real excited about the fact that dad was coming home. But when I had done something that I knew he'd be proud of, well, I couldn't wait for him to get home. And you know what I think? I think some of us, some of, and, and, and it's a cycle. It's a cycle. If we start living in such a way, we can't wait to see him. It's going to change how we feel about the world around us. We're not going to be afraid anymore. We're not going to operate in fear anymore. We're not going to operate in doubt anymore. Because we can't wait for him to get here. Amen? Now watch. The last thing, the last thing, verse number 17 and 18. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things, seeing that ye know these things, what's the next word? Well, the next, next word. (laughs) Beware. I was looking ahead, amen. Seeing that ye know these things before, say it again. Beware. Beware. Lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I want you to see, see, dedication. Not only the saints' anticipation, the saints' conversation, but the saints' dedication. We should be dedicated, committed to two things. Number one, to guard. Verse 17, to guard. It says, beware. The word translated beware means be constantly guarding yourself. Peter's readers knew the truth, but he warned them that knowledge alone was not sufficient protection. They had to be on their guard. They had to be alert. It is easy for people who have a knowledge of the Bible to grow overconfident and to forget the warning. The warning is this in 1 Corinthians 10, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. True Christians cannot fall from salvation and be lost, but they can fall from their own steadfastness. What is steadfastness? Being established in the present truth. 2 Peter 1, 12. Now watch here. The stability of the Christian comes from three things. First, his faith in the word. Secondly, his knowledge of the word. Thirdly, his ability to use the word in practical decisions of life. Please get that. Please get that. You got to have faith in the word. You got to have faith in the word. You got to believe it'll work. You got to believe it'll work. You got to believe it's true. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for, for my upbringing. I really am. 
uh, because uh, I grew up in church. I mean, I, I don't know nothing but believing is true. I've never not believed it wasn't true. Even when I was lost, I believed it was true because I was taught that way. And, and, and I, man, I appreciate that. Thank God. I didn't have to go through a process and I didn't have to live half my life and then come to know. I thank God for my upbringing. And I'm not saying that for any other thing. I'm just saying that part was not hard for me. That part was not difficult for me. It was ingrounded into me and ingrained into me. And, 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 and I, I will say this, uh, parents, get them young. Don't let that be a struggle for them. Help them, to, help them to build a confidence and a trust in the Word of God. And you say, how can I do that? Show them it works. Show them it works. Show them what it will do for them. Teach them the Word. Now, now, now watch. Faith in the Word. Faith in the Word. Then knowledge of the Word. Now you say, what, 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 what? I know people that go to church every day and they believe it works. They just don't know how. There's no, there's no question in their mind that, that that Bible is the Word of God, that that Bible is powerful, that that Bible is exactly what it says. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is, it is quick and powerful. It is awesome. It is mighty. It is unbelievable. But that's all they know. And they really believe it. But believing what the Bible can do won't show them what it can do. Ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free you shall know the truth it won't make you free till you know it are y'all getting what i'm saying there's people that come to church every week that believe that the bible is the word of god but they don't have enough acquaintance with it for it to work in their life do you know what I'm saying? It's like this. It's like this. This is a great example. You go to the doctor. You go to the doctor, and they give you this powerful medicine. I mean, this medicine, if you take it, it will knock out whatever it is that's ailing you. And listen, you know it. it you, you believe in it because you believe the doctor who told you it, and you believe that what it says on the, on the bottle, and you believe what everybody else has said about it because everybody else is bragging on it. Everybody else has experienced it. Everybody else has used it, and it worked for them, and you believe it'll work for you, and you sit it on the counter and look at it. And you can believe that it'll work all you want to until you take it. And the Bible's the same way. The Word of God is the same way. You can have faith in it, but do you know it? Do you know it? But then you got to apply it. Watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. You can know forgiveness will break the chains of bitterness. But until you actually forgive, you're still bound. You can have faith that the Bible says to forgive. And you can even know it'll work. But until you do it, you're still bound. That's why the stability of the Christian 
is all about those three things. Having faith in it, believing it, knowing it. You got you to read it and you got to study it to know it. And then applying it, using it. Are y'all with me? Watch this. Peter had issues. He was always in extremes. He was always way up here, way down there. At one moment, he's cutting a man's ear off defending Jesus. And then the next moment, he's saying, I don't even know him. One moment, he's saying, you're not, you're not washing my feet. And the next moment, he says, give me from head to toe. Right? Where's Brother Jeff at? See now, Brother Jeff, you said something very, very powerful to me. And I know I'm in overtime, but I got to say this. Brother Jeff works in, in the addictions uh, uh, program and, and life recovery and all of that. And he says one thing about people that are struggling with addiction is there's so many highs and lows. Highs and lows. And it's the highs and lows that get you in trouble. And, it's, it, and, and he says, if I can cut a lot of the emotion out and keep people on a level plane, not high and not low, but keep people more stable, then they can better handle when things come. And man, I started thinking about, I started thinking about Peter. They can all leave. I will never leave thee. Jesus dies. I'm going fishing. But you know what happened when the Holy Spirit came in? And he started doing what Jesus told him to, feeding the sheep. Steadfastness. Steadfast. Those people that come in like, like, like rock stars and they sound so spiritual and they all on fire. And then the next minute you see them. I'd rather have somebody that was a rock. They don't have to be burning the woods up. They don't have to be evangelizing the whole world. But just be steady. Stay true. Stay faithful. Are y'all with me? Oh, man. To guard. Then, then write this down. Number two, to grow. And you can read it when you get home. Grow, grow in two things. Grace and knowledge. And, and look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Grace and knowledge. Guys, if you just grow in knowledge, you're going to be a jerk. If you just grow in knowledge, you're going to be a smart aleck. And you'll be mean. And you'll be judgmental. The Bible says the letter of the law killeth. It's the spirit that bringeth life. That's why God says... Grow in grace and knowledge. Now, 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 if you just grow in grace, you're going to be shallow. If you just grow in grace, there's people that just want to say grace, 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 all just grace. And I'm all about grace and a lot of grace. I need a lot of grace. But I need some knowledge. I need some stability. I need some sound doctrine. 
All these people don't want to hear about doctrine. They're, they're weaseling around somewhere. There's a balance of grace and truth. Grace. And you know what the Bible says about Jesus? He was the perfect balance of grace and truth. Grow in the knowledge of what? The Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, read that last part that goes with that. It's a great, it's great. So read it. Let's pray. We're in trouble. Lord, thank you for the study tonight. Lord, help us. Help us live every day of our life like it's report card day and you're coming home. And our behavior and our attitudes and our treatment of others help us to live like we're looking forward to your return and that that could be any moment. In Jesus' name we all pray and all God's children say it.